Let's pray together. Father, we ask you now to use your word to open our hearts to what you are doing around the world. We ask for your presence. We ask for your power. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us big hearts in regards to your heart for the nations. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Arguably the most famous passage in the Bible that people in the world know is John 3.16, right? If you'd ask somebody, what's what's a Bible passage that you know, they probably would say, oh, John 3.16. In fact, if you're a sports fan and you watch any kind of athletics on television, you'll often see some guy maybe wearing a crazy hat or various colored hair, and he's got a, a sign, right? It says John 3.16. In fact, the other night, I was watching um, the, the World Series, and right towards the end, this guy started holding up a John 3.16 sign. And I looked really close, and I couldn't believe what I saw. And I was like, how did Joe Bartimus get tickets to the World Series? Joe wasn't really, we photoshopped that, just so you know. But it makes the point, right? But the point is this. John 3.16 is an incredibly popular verse. Why? Well, in one way, it's winsome. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son... I mean, it's, it's, it's a winsome passage. It has the encapsulation of the gospel in it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But I think one of the reasons that we and the world love this verse is because it says that God so loved the world. It's the sweeping affection of God that is so beautiful and attractive in John 3.16. And today what I want to do is talk about this global heart of God and essentially to call you and me to have a heart like God has. We're at the last week of Reach 12, and today I want to suggest to you that if God's glory isn't just personal, then missions isn't optional. Or to state it positively, that God's global glory demands a global heart. What I want to do today is to try and make the case using a biblical theology framework, meaning we're going to go from Genesis all the way to Revelation. What I want to show you is that missions at College Park Church is not a program. It is the essence of what it means to live out our mission. And the reason that that is the case is because God's glory is that large. It's that compelling. It is that beautiful. And what you're going to see is beginning in Genesis and then ending in Revelation, there is a crescendo of passion as it relates to the nations. And this passion for the nations is rooted in a passion for God's glory. In other words, there is a direct connection between your passion for God's glory and my passion for God's glory on a global scale and our passion to reach the nations. To state it negatively, if you have a small heart when it comes to God's glory, you'll have a small passion for the nations. So let's take a journey from Genesis all the way to Revelation. I want to begin with Father Abraham. Now, John 3.16 is arguably the most well-known passage in all the Bible. I'd also argue that the most annoying children's song is Father Abraham. (laughs) 
Can I get a witness on that one? Had many sons, many sons, had thought right arm, left arm, stand up, sit down. Now, although Father Abraham had many sons is an annoying song, its theology is spot on. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right. So the the theology of that is spot on. Abraham is called the father of the Jewish people. Take your Bible and go to Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 and 3. He's called the father of the Jewish people, but God begins his movement to reach the nations with this man called father Abraham. Genesis 12 verse 1. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and now here it comes I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and then in you all families of the earth shall be blessed Now, there's no indication at this point in time how in the world that's going to happen but we begin with Abraham in that God calls him out of Ur, but his calling of Abraham was not just about Abraham. God was going to do something through Abraham that would be personally remarkable, yet the ultimate intention of God's mission was not just about Abraham. Later on in Abraham's life, he famously is tested and God asks him to sacrifice Isaac. So he goes all the way almost up to killing Isaac. And after God instructs Abraham to spare his son, he then reaffirms this promise in Abraham to reach the nations. Genesis 22:15. Have it on the screen here. You can follow along. It says this, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And notice that God ramps up the promise here. He swears by himself, the writer of Hebrews tells us that there could be no other greater way by which God could swear. He doesn't swear by Abraham's activity. He doesn't make this covenant based upon what Abraham would do. God swears by his own being. He says, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And here it comes. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So we see movement here. The movement is from, in you all families will be blessed. Now in your offspring all the nations shall be blessed. Therefore, God's global focus in the book of Genesis begins with a promise to Abraham about the way in which God will bless him, but his blessing of Abraham is in order that Abraham will then be a blessing to the nations. And in this, we see a model A model that develops throughout the Scripture, the model looks like this, that God works through somebody else in order to be able to reach the nations. God is going to bless Abraham, not because Abraham is the goal. Abraham is the means to an end. He is the conduit, if you will, to be able to reach the nations. And so the book of Genesis records this beginning model of God's passion to reach the nations and doing it through a vehicle on earth, the first one being Abraham. Now, 
Let's look at the second season. There's six seasons that we're going to look at. The second one is that God begins to work through the nation of Israel. We, we fast forward to the seasons of the patriarchs through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we see that God's mission now expands from just a single person to an entire people group, a nation, the nation of Israel. We're in the middle of a study in the book of Exodus in our regular teaching through God's Word. And you've learned, I trust, that Exodus is not about Israel. It's about God. It's about God gathering His people, delivering them out of slavery. He he rescues them, not just because they are in bondage. He rescues them because God wants to communicate something about Himself through their rescue from bondage. See, God wants to say something to the world, and He chooses Israel as the means by which He will display His glory. Take your Bible, go to Exodus 34. Fast forward through a number of major events in the book of Exodus. Mount Sinai, Moses receives the Ten Commandments. He comes down the mount. He sees the people involved in all sorts of idolatry and wickedness with the golden calf. He hears Aaron's ridiculous statement, we threw gold in and out came this calf. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. Threw it in. What is that, Aaron? One of the worst moments in Aaron's life. We see Moses breaking the covenants, the the tablets rather. And then he goes back up on the mountain. He receives the, the, the second version of these tablets. And then God reaffirms his covenant in Exodus 34. Listen to what God says. Exodus 34.10, he said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. Here it says this, And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Notice, God moves from Abraham, specifically Abraham's offspring, now to the people of Israel. And the purpose of God's covenant with them is not because they are so special or because they're so obedient. They've already proven that that is not the case. God, in effect, says the reason that I'm going to be gracious to you is so that all the people among whom you are will see my works. So this is God's goal for Israel. Far beyond God just being their God, God's goal for Israel is that they would become a conduit through which the world would see what God is like. Now fast forward 500 years, we're going to fly over the season of Judges, and we come to the glory years of Israel when they're gathered as a nation during the golden years under King David. And one of the hallmarks of David's life, of course, was the fact that he was a a wonderful worshiper, wrote many psalms, and David had a heart for the people of God to be gathered in God's presence and to worship him. And so therefore, he took the Ark of the Covenant that was in storage. It got in storage because Samuel's sons treated it like a, a lucky charm, and they brought it into battle, the Philistines defeated Israel. Israel lost the Ark of the Covenant. Eventually, when the Philistines had all sorts of diseases because of the Ark, they sent it back. Israel put it then in storage. David brought it out. Uzzah touched the Ark, was killed, and because of the way Israel was treating it, God was displeased, and so they put it back in storage. 
Then David builds a tabernacle for the people of God to worship, and they bring the ark back into the central worship place of the nation. You can imagine what this day had been like. After Uzzah had been killed, after it had been stolen by the Philistines, after it had been treated with such disrespect, the ark now is brought into corporate worship. And in this historic moment, when the ark is brought in, 1 Chronicles 16, the passage that was our scripture reading today, this was the passage that was read at the celebration when the ark was brought back into the central worship environment of Israel. 1 Chronicles 16 uh, records the merger of three psalms together, Psalm 105, Psalm 96, and Psalm 106. So put these psalms together. And the psalm is filled with high praise for God and how he deals with Israel. Look at the following verses. First Chronicles 16, 8, 9, 23, and 24, and 31. Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. First Chronicles 16, 23. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. And First Chronicles 16, 31. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. When was this all said? This was said when the Ark of the Covenant was brought back into the central reality of Israel. And as Israel worshipped this great and historic day, their mind and their heart was not only rejoicing in what God had done in their midst, but the fact of the matter was that God was now favoring His people so they could be a light to the world. And that's what they rejoiced in and celebrated. Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. The people of God were blessed by God in order to be a blessing to other peoples. After David comes Solomon. Solomon builds the temple, something David had wanted to do, but wasn't given permission by God to, in effect, do. Solomon builds a structure for God to be worshipped. Take your Bible, look at 2 Chronicles 6 and verse 32. When Solomon is dedicating the temple and he's praying, when he's talking to God about what he wants God to do in this temple, the nations are in his prayer. Second Chronicles 6.32, Solomon says this, Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. Do you see? The temple was never just about Israel. The tabernacle was never just about Israel. Abraham and the promise was never just about Israel. It was always about God's heart for the nations. And so the effect is we see this model develop where it used to be Abraham, now it's Israel. And the vision here is not only that God would bless the nations through Abraham, now it is that he'll bless the nations through Israel as the nations through Israel come to meet with God. 
So the idea was that the temple would be a gathering place of people from all sorts of nationalities and they would come and they would seek the face of God and that through Israel, the nations would come to meet God. And in the back of your mind, you have to hear a passage, a passage that Jesus said, a passage that's in the book of Isaiah that says that my house shall be a house of prayer for what? All nations. You see, from the very beginning, God's heart, His goal, His plan has been to reach the nations. Let's now look at the prophets. So we've seen Father Abraham, who had many sons. We've seen the nation of Israel. The prophets. The prophets are a unique season in that they gave the people of Israel a vision for the distant future. And that vision of the distant future was supposed to affect how they lived now. So they told them what was to come. They were prophetic in what they spoke about for the purpose of motivating people now. And that's important for you to realize that your eschatology, how you view things at the end, does affect how you live now. The fact that Jesus is coming again, the fact that there is going to be a judgment, that affects how we live now. The fact that there is a real heaven and there is a real hell affects the urgency for our mission. And so the prophets are motivating the people by talking about the future. A classic text of this would be Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. That's the vision, that one day God's glory would extend over the entire planet. That the problem with sin is not just the individual grievances that we have done against God, it is that the entire created order has been affected by the tragedy of sin. And the the prophets long for the glory of God to cover the earth. It's not just that people are broken. It's not just that individuals are sinful. It is that the entire planet is affected by the treasonous acts of human beings. Everything around us is broken and it needs to be fixed. And Jesus will do that. Isaiah chapter 2 says this, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. And then he says this, And all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways, that we may walk in His paths. Isaiah says, For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Why is it going out? It's going out so that the people would return. So the nations would come. So that Israel would be a light to the Gentiles. In the prophets, we also learn a particular little phrase regarding how this light would come. We hear it in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 10. In that day, here it is, the root of Jesse. The root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So we've moved from Abraham to the nation of Israel, from Abraham to his offspring, to the nation of Israel. 
to a worship center where people will come to. Now, we hear this marker of the root of Jesse. So the development in biblical theology goes like this, that God now is talking not just about Abraham or Israel or a worship center, but he's actually talking about there would come someone, the root of Jesse, who would be proclaimed to the nation so that the nations through this root of Jesse might be able to come back to God. And this cyclical nature of God's redemptive plan, we know in the New Testament the fulfillment of this, but you have to see the development that the further we go along in the Old and then then the New Testament, the louder and louder and louder this beautiful, beautiful call becomes. In fact, take your Bible and look at Isaiah 66 and verse 18. You gotta see this in your Bible. It's just so incredibly glorious. The prophet Isaiah talking about things that we'll see in a moment, even in the book of Revelation, about the way in which Israel would become a a missionary agency. The means by which God would reach the world. Isaiah 66, 18. It says this, For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and shall see my what glory. That's the vision. It is that the whole world would see the glory of God, and I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish and Pol and Lud, who draw the bull, and to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations, and they shall bring all your brothers from the, all the nations as an offering to the Lord. Notice what the offering is. It is people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. They will come on horses and chariots and litters and on mules and dromedaries and To my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as Israelites bring their grain offering and clean vessels to the house of the Lord, and some of them also I will take for priests and Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I shall make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. For from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. This is the the global vision of God that was embedded even in the hearts of the prophets as they looked forward. So Abraham and then Israel, the prophets. Now let's fast forward even further to Jesus. In the fourth season of biblical history, we have the coming of the Messiah, the, the root of Jesse, the Son of God. Jesus is the blessed promise of Abraham. He is the means by which God rescues sinners. He's the means by which God glorifies Himself. He's the fulfillment of all the promises in the prophets. He's the way that God loves the world. He's the way that God makes atonement. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That means if this is your first Sunday at College Park, first Sunday in church in a long time, and you're trying to figure out what is Christianity all about, it is simply about this. God sent His Son into the world to save sinners, and you and I are big ones. We need a Savior. God's holy, you're not. That's a huge problem. 
And the Son of God comes to reconcile, to bring you back to God. That's what the Gospel, that's what the message of the Bible is. When Simeon, an old man at the temple, when he holds the Christ child at his dedication, he says this about him, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So it was never just about Israel. It was never about Israel. It was about reaching the nations. Jesus' ministry was about reaching the world. When Jesus cleansed the temple, He famously said, My Father's house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. When He talked about His crucifixion in John chapter 12, He said, When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to Myself. Now granted, throughout the Gospel, Jesus very specifically targets, in terms of His audience, the Jewish people, but he does so because a part of God's overall redemptive strategy was for Jesus to be rejected by his own people, and the result would be that the message of the gospel would then be spread to all the world, such that when Jesus talks about the end in Matthew 24, the future, he says this, This gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony for all of the nations, and then the the end will come. And I'm sure you know the, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's not a new thought. That's not a major change in God's strategy. That was the strategy from day one. Israel was the conduit. The kings and and the temple was a means to an end. Jesus comes as the redemptive methodology in order to do what? To bring all peoples back to God. So God's purposes for reaching the world extend from Abraham to Israel through the promised one. They're fulfilled in Jesus This this global mission of God now became personal. So instead of it being Abraham in here, or Israel in here, or the root of Jesse in here, now we have a name. The name is Jesus. Such that God sends Jesus to the nations so that the nations, through Jesus, might be brought back to God. Which is why all of heaven is focused on Jesus. Why? Because He's the only reason that we're there. We see Him, we worship Him because people from every tribe, nation, and tongue are there because they know one name, that one name given among men whereby we must be saved is the name Jesus. People from different walks, different languages, different ethnic backgrounds, the unifying factor of all of them is that they have one name on their lips. It is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's beautiful. God's aim is to glorify Himself through this person, Jesus And the fifth season is the season of the church. This is where we live. We are in this season now. We are part of this narrative. This 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 season begins in Pentecost when the Spirit is poured out on people from all over the world. Acts chapter 2 and verse 5 says the the devout Jews were there from every nation under heaven. So the Spirit is poured out on all of these people groups. And they heard the Gospel being preached to them in their own tongue. And the reason why that is significant, it's the fulfillment of God's very heart that the Gospel is now not just being theoretically taken to people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. It is literally being preached in the very language of those people. What's more... 
The New Testament tells us that the gospel crosses the bridge between Jew and Gentile. Peter witnesses numerous Gentiles coming to faith in Christ. They were receiving the Holy Spirit. And the the, the early church began to wrestle with this fact, do these people need to become Jewish? Do they need to still come through Judaism? Or do they just have to come through Jesus? And Peter says this, If God then gave them the same gift as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who am I to stand in God's way? In other words, the vehicle whereby God was reaching the world was not through the nation. It was now through the person of Jesus. Acts 10.43, salvation was now given to everyone who believes. Enter Paul, whose ministry is primarily to reach the nation, specifically the Gentiles. Romans 1.6, Paul says that his ministry was to bring about the obedience of the faith for the sake of his name among the nations. That was Paul's ministry. The nations. And reflecting on this, in Galatians 3, Paul linked it all the way back to the promise of Abraham. Here's what he says. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Do you see the ark? Paul goes all the way back to Genesis to say, This is the Gospel message that God was fulfilling the plan that He was bringing to pass. 1 Timothy 3.16, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Therefore, our message, the good news, is simply this. The good news that we preach The gospel, everything that we are about here at College Park Church that we have summarized in igniting a passion to follow Jesus, the reason why Jesus is the focal point of our mission is because Jesus is the focal point of the gospel. That God through Jesus tells the nations that through Jesus they can come back to God. So the essence of why we are on this earth, the essence of why you are here today is because of this message. That God through Jesus wants to reach the nations so that the nations through Jesus might come into fellowship with God. The arc of this biblical theology ends at the end of the Bible. It reaches its ultimate crescendo in the book of Revelation as we hear about the consummation of God's redemptive plan. In other words, we hear and we see the beautiful completion of God's aim, which has been not just to save the world. His aim is the global honoring of His name. The gospel and people receiving Christ is the means to that end. You aren't saved just from your sins, and you aren't saved just so that you can go to heaven. You are saved in order that you can be in the presence of a holy God. Revelation 5. 
Verse 9, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you you ransomed the people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's the vision. That's why mission is important, because that's the goal. There will be a future multitude from every nation. Revelation 7, 9 to 10 says this, And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice. Just think of this. Every people, every language, every nation saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You know why you need to be involved in missions? Because this vision of God's glory is this stunning and this great. The motivation to reach the world is not just because they are lost, but because God's glory is worth anything that you and I would do. It is the global vision of the glorification of God that propels us to have a heart for the nations. That salvation belongs to our God. Imagine people from every tribe, nation, and tongue saying this. And then it all ends in Revelation 21 with a beautiful picture of eternal life. Just listen to the picture. And I saw no temple in the city for its people I saw no temple in the city, for its temple, rather, is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city and on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be there no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they shall reign forever and ever. Do, Do you see? Oh, that you would see. That you would see the beauty of this. Does your heart beat with joy for the the global nature of God's glory? Do you see that while the gospel is deeply personal, it isn't just personal. Do you understand that 
the global display of God's glory is central to the gospel and central to our worship. Do you see that a heart for God includes a heart for the world? It can't just all be about us. It can't. Oh, we don't understand the gospel. And if you understand the beauty of this vision, then you will pray. You will give. You'll go, because what greater cause could you ever give your life to? You will do anything to reach the nations. No one will need to guilt you into anything. You'll be compelled because it's so clear, it's so beautiful, it's so unbelievably compelling. Your heart will resonate with the psalmist. In First Chronicles 16.31, let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. This, my friends, is the global nature of the glory of God that propels us to be involved in reaching the nations. This isn't a message of the Bible. This is the message of the Bible. Father, help us in the midst of our overly self-concerned individualistic orientations of life. We forget that your, your glory is so compelling, it's so lovely, it's so beautiful that reaching the nations just simply makes sense. And so Lord, I pray that you would propel some to use vacation time to go on a vision trip. That you'd propel people to give generously to missions. That you would burden us to pray in new ways. That you would cause us to have a heart for lost people that we work with. Not to be motivated by guilt or their lostness, but by the simple fact that your glory is supposed to be global. So help us, God. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let everything in them say, the Lord reigns. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our prayer team is here at the front today. If there's something going on in your life or something you feel God's speaking to you today by His Spirit, they're here to bless you and encourage you in prayer. Please use them. They're here to serve you today, all right? God bless you, College Park. I love you. Thanks for coming today.